Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. This morning, um, we're just going to take a one-week break from our study through the book of Revelation and uh, look at something from the Gospel of Mark that was just almost consuming me this week. Um, This comes from uh, Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the town, next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And there he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is God's word. In a 1954 speech to the Second Assembly of the World Council of Churches, uh, former President Dwight D. Eisenhower, he said, uh, I have two major problems, the urgent and the important. He said, so often in my presidency, uh, the urgent are never important and the important are never urgent. And so what he went on to do was coin what we now know as, as the Eisenhower Matrix, which has been so useful and helpful to businesses and leaders around the world, that just divides the things going on in your life at to urgent and important, to urgent and not important, to important but not urgent, to things that are not important or not urgent at all. So I want to ask you from the beginning right here, what do you think about the Christian life in terms of the priorities of the external parts of your life and the internal parts of your life in terms of the most important and most urgent things. I was listening to J.I. Packer, a a theologian who used to teach in Vancouver one time, and he said, you know, it's pretty profound that when the Apostle Paul prays for Christians, especially like in the book of Ephesians and the book of 1 Thessalonians, that his most urgent prayer request for them is not to deal with uh, outside heresy. It's not to deal with even internal problems or strife. His most urgent prayer request is that they would know the height and the depth of the love of God for them in Christ Jesus. The most, the most urgent and important thing for you, if you want to be a Christian, is not to change this thing in your life. It's not even to go after this or to possess this. It's that you would know more than anything else how profound, how gracious, how open are God's arms for you in the gospel. That's what he desperately wants you to know. And the way that you begin to know that on an urgent and an important level is through getting alone in prayer. So let's learn this this morning through this little moment in Jesus' life. That you should pray. Why you should pray. 
And thirdly, how you could actually do this. So first, that you should pray. If you look in the text, we're told this in verse 37. It says, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, why is everyone looking for you? Well, if you look, if you have a Bible open for you, and you look in the passages right before this, what happens is that Jesus, uh, he heals a man with an unclean spirit, and then he begins to heal other people. After this, he'll cleanse a leper. Uh, he will uh, heal a man on, uh, with a withered hand. All sorts of incredible ministry is going on. There are urgent needs that are being met, and everyone's getting wind of it, and they're going after him with all these external needs, and they're saying, Jesus is really important. And all of these external demands are growing and growing and growing, and they're legitimate too. But we're told the reason they had to go look for him is in verse 35, because rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and he prayed. And here's what we're being taught right away here. That externally, there are all sorts of pressing things going on around Jesus. But the most pressing thing for him, in the midst of all these pressing things, is to withdraw and be alone with the Father. And what Jesus is modeling for us right here is putting the internal needs before the external demands. A couple months ago, I had a lunch appointment. You know, I think noon was when I was supposed to be there. It's noon, and I'm still 10 minutes away. I'm flying through intersections, come up to a stop sign that I'm probably going to roll through. And this woman was helping uh, this elderly man walk across the intersection. And it wasn't a, um, hey, how you doing walk. It was one of those, you know, things. And seeing this woman take time out of her life to help this man um, who needed some assistance to walk across the intersection, my first observation was not to look, what a great servant in this world. What a loving person. It was just to go, which is, you know, code for I'm disgusted and put out right now. And, and, and I just thought, like, I, 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 maybe I can scoot past them. You know, I can't believe I'm going to have to wait about 80 seconds for this to happen. And then I caught myself even just going, I'm tempted to run over these people <laughs> to make sure I'm not 10 minutes late for lunch. Look, as the external demands in your life grow, you will always be tempted to run over the internal needs of your life. No matter what is going on. And here's how you know you're already prioritizing the external demands of the internal needs. Is that you can begin to look at the content in your prayer life. What most commentators think Jesus is doing here is that he is reflecting and meditating on his baptism moment. So if you look back, actually, earlier in the chapter, what we're told is that uh, Jesus goes out and John the Baptist meets him, and there's this incredible moment where the heavens open up, 
and the Holy Spirit like a dove comes down, and the Father says this, you are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so what most commentators think is happening is that Jesus is withdrawing in the midst of the external demands to go and meditate and reflect and pray into that moment. That the Father looked at him and said, with you I am well pleased. Now that's what you need to do, but here's how you know you're struggling to meet that need. is because the content of our prayer life is filled with external demands. Lord, today... Big meeting at work. Help it go well. Hard conversation I have today. Help this person meet it. Big financial problem coming up. Lord, please meet these needs. And listen, the Lord's Prayer concludes with us, Jesus telling us to go ask the Father for our needs. So there is never a need that you ever need to withhold from the Father. In the same way your children need to never withhold anything they would want to ask from you. But the fact that we begin there, and that's the, the focus of our meditation, tells us our life is being run by the external demands. The content of your prayer ought to be the majority, hallowed be thy name. And the beauty and the majesty of God Himself. Because what your soul craves more than anything else is to go every day out into the world longing for something beautiful for you to build your soul on and asking the question, Am I loved? And what Jesus is giving us here is the answer to our soul's longing found in the hard work of prayer. One, one theologian, in uh, one of his works, he says, prayer is the chief exercise of faith because it tells you whether or not you think God is useful or he is beautiful. And what prayer will begin to do for you is to change God into just a useful divine being out in the world who might improve what's going on to the absolute meaning of your life so that you get to the point no matter what is going on, your needs are met. That's why you should pray. Excuse me, that is prayer. Secondly, though, why must you begin to do that? You have to begin to do that because of the growing darkness in life. If you look in verse 35, it says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Now, most commentators will say here that what what Mark is observing for us is that the darkness is not just when Jesus went out to pray, but it's why he went out to pray. See, we're told again in verse 37, everyone is looking for you. Now, there are needs that are being met But one thing that's going on here is that there's darkness around Jesus. There are demons, there are sicknesses, there are infirmities, there's unbelief, there's pharisaical unrighteousness. But that's not the way to the darkness here. 
Tom Wright in his commentary says, when he said this, it really blew my socks off. He said, here's the darkness that's going around Jesus, is how the crowds are responding to him healing the darkness. Because what's on the verge of happening to Jesus is that the success in ministry is going to make him famous and not the type of famous that he set out to be. That is, what's happening is Jesus, because everyone is seeing these incredible things happen, Jesus is tempted to get drunk on ministry and how well it's going. And that means the better life can go, the more tempted you will be to separate the external demands from the internal needs. Look, this is what is so crazy about Christianity. Is that if you're not a Christian, the Christian life can look like this. As long as you start doing these things and you start adding these disciplines in your life, God will love you and the Christian life will go better. And you'll be more loved and you'll just thrive up the ladder. But it doesn't work that way. And and this is what's so crazy because as a pastor, I, I really do, wherever you are in life, want you to begin to move into more prayer into more Bible study. Uh, there, there are fantastic books that so many people have written about Christianity, about how you can grow and know. But the crazy thing is, sometimes the more you can get into those things, the more dangerous it can be. Because as you begin to get into these things, one of the temptations is if the Christian life goes well, and if your life is going well, you can somehow be drifting your internal needs from the external demands in life. And there's almost nothing that can actually do this for you more dangerously than the knowledge that you can gain about the Christian life. Martin Lloyd-Jones was this uh, British minister in Westminster Chapel in London for many, many years. And uh, he, I mean, his, he would... He would preach through a book of the Bible for sometimes like eight or nine years at a time. And so he's got these sermons through Ephesians that are eight volumes. And uh, when he came to chapter six on the armor of God, he's got 26 sermons on the schemes of the devil. And one of them is called uh, Knowledge Puffs Up. And he's taking the text from 1 Corinthians 8 where Paul just says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And he says this. He says, for the one who sincerely recognizes the Bible as his sole authority and desires to submit himself wholeheartedly to its evident meaning, it is still possible for such a man to go astray by becoming purely theoretical in towards this precious knowledge. It could happen to all. 
But I emphasize again that it is the particular danger of those who have keen minds and who desire to understand and grow in knowledge. The devil knowing us as he does suits the particular temptation to our exact mentality. At this point, I'm not referring to people who do not read the scriptures or indeed little else and those who say, I'm just interested in nothing but my experience. The devil does not trouble such people in this way, but to those who truly long to grow and develop, he comes and says, of course you are right. What you need and what everyone else needs is more and more of this knowledge. Pressing it so far that our only relationship with the truth is purely theoretical and academic. And then we are in danger of intellectual knowledge of Christian truth rather than knowledge of our Lord Jesus himself. When we are beguiled into such a condition, the devil is quite satisfied. Do you hear what he's he's saying? He's saying, if you sit and read the Bible, which God longs for you to do, or you hear something that's helpful and profound, and your first reaction is to go, you know who needs to hear this? Is my friend this, or my spouse, or my child? He's saying the devil already has a foothold on you. And if people actually begin to follow you in life, you're toast. Because as you have this incredible advice and this incredible knowledge, and everyone has a question for you because you have all of this knowledge, what will happen is it will, a darkness will come around you, but it will never feel like darkness because all these people want to know these things that are right and true and beautiful. And the only way to protect yourself from that is in an urgent and important way to get away and to be alone with the Lord Jesus Christ. And to say the most important thing in my life right now is to know how loved I am in the Father. It's more important than anything externally going on in my job. It's more important than anything going on in my children's life. And it's more important than the pressing spiritual needs that everyone around me has. Look, you know, um, when you get on an airplane, and, uh, you know, the... I, it's just hilarious they're still doing these routines. Like if you haven't seen a seatbelt in 35 years, you know, it works like this. But then they want to tell you, you know, the oxygen mask. They always tell you what the first thing you do is before you put it on somebody else, you have to put it on yourself. Now why? It's because if you don't help yourself first, you'll be useless to everyone else. Look, I, I know some of you have marriages where it feels like you're thriving and the other one is drowning. Or you have a sibling or you have a child where it feels like you really know Christ and the depth of the gospel and they do not at all. Look, if you don't put the mask on yourself first, with the desperate knowledge that you alone 
that you need to know this more than anybody else. You will become useless to your children and useless to your spouse. And the only way to begin to cement that and remind yourself of that pressing need is for you to get alone and to withdraw and to do into these alone times where you know the desperate love and the urgent love the Father has for you. That you should do that. That's why you should do that. But thirdly, how in the world can you begin to do this? See, if you're feeling the pressing need of this now, one of the things that can creep up is fear. Like, if I don't do this, what will happen? But actually, if you follow that logic and fear is what moves you into this, you're actually still going after the external demands. Because you're just desperate to manage the things and the people in your life. The only way that you will begin to do this in a beautiful, transformative way, where you're going after the internal needs, is if you go through the gospel. Now, what do I mean by this? Look, the gospel says this. It's not that you have a record and it's built up by all of these spiritual activity and all of these um, spiritual disciplines that you've accumulated in your life and you bring it to God and he looks at your record and how desperate and passionate and loving you are and then he accepts you. The gospel is by grace alone. It's that God looks at our broken record and gives us the imputed righteousness of Jesus and says, listen, I will accept you not by anything you have done, but because I sent Christ on your behalf to stand in your place, to be holy and righteous where you were always, always putting the external demands of the internal needs so that when you go either desperate or blind, he accepts you not because of what you do, but because of who Christ was for you. See, we, we don't just go to Jesus in prayer. We go through Jesus in prayer. And let me show you what I mean from the text here. Look, we're told here, that Jesus, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. Another translation says, he withdrew and went out into the wilderness. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, there are three private moments of prayer in Jesus' life. And they all take place in the dark. There's this moment in the wilderness. There's right after the feeding of the 5,000 on a mountain. And there's right before he's crucified in the garden. And what you have Jesus doing, what Mark's giving us, is that as he's going to the cross, Jesus is praying back through Israel's story. See, here's a summary of the entire Old Testament and the people of Israel. They started out in a garden, were given a temptation, and they failed. They go into slavery, 
then Jesus, or excuse me, the Father sends Moses in to get them out and draws them out in the wilderness. Excuse me, it draws them out first to a mountain where he gives them the law. He goes up to meet with God. They come, he comes down. They've failed another test. They're worshiping an idol. Then they go from the mountain out into the wilderness for 40 years and fail every temptation over and over and over. And if you look at those temptations, every single one of them is to put the external demands over the internal needs. And so what you have through the gospel of Mark is Jesus going back through all of their temptations, going through their story, but every single time he resists the external demands and puts the internal needs, even as they become more and more and more pressing. Because it begins with the crowds loving him, but it concludes with whether or not he wants to drink that cup of God's wrath. And while he's up on the cross, and everyone is mocking him, and he's got external demands to a degree that you and I never want to know, he's still quoting Psalm 22. But you know what he quotes? He's, while he's quoting Scripture, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because what's happening on the cross is Jesus is losing his internal need. He's losing what he got in his baptism. He's losing the Father's affirmation on his own life. You know why? So that he could purchase a bunch of people that will always put the external demands over the internal needs. See, here's how you go into prayer through Jesus. Look, he's modeling for us what we ought to be. But he's purchasing us, purchasing us because of our constant failure to mix those priorities up. But he's also praying for us that we will more and more and more know how loved we are so that you and I can put that internal need before everything else that's pressing on in our life. So that you, listen, today, whether you feel this or not, you can begin to recover the most pressing need in your life. And you know what this will do? It will turn prayer and all of these things into something you know you should be doing or you do to meet an external expectation on you as a mom or on you as a leader in this church, and you begin to do it because you love this, because it is meeting the most desperate cry of your soul. Um, Rob Reiner, the, uh, the director of A Few Good Men, I heard him have an interview one time where he was asked about the filming of that movie, and, and the most famous scene in that movie, um, probably... A lot of you have heard of this, you know, where Jack uh, Nicholson says, uh, you ordered the code red. And he said when they're, um, when they're filming that scene, you know, it's, it's Jack Nicholson, Tom Cruise, Kevin Bacon, several, uh, Demi Moore, several other people. So, you know, when they film these scenes, it's not like a play where everyone's just doing their thing and acting and they've just got multiple things going around. They film one actor at a time. 
So when you're going through the dialogue, like one person is all in acting, but the other person is just probably like chewing gum and looking down and going through the script just to kind of feed lines off them so that they can keep up with the dialogue. So Rob Reiner goes to Jack Nicholson. He said, well, Jack, you know, because this whole scene is about you, do you want to go first you want to go second? Uh, do you want to go last? When do you want, or do you want more time to work on this? When do you want to go? And Jack just said, you know, I, I'll go last. And Rob Reiner was like, hey, you're Jack. Do what you want. Great. So as Tom Cruise is filming his scenes and going through his line, Jack Nicholson is still screaming, you know, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. And he's just all in the whole time. And after like the second or third take, Rob Reiner comes over and he's like, hey, man, you want to like chill out and save yourself uh, for when we actually film you? Like, don't, don't waste all your good efforts on these moments where we're not filming you. And he said, Jack Nichols had looked at him and was like, you don't understand. I love acting. And I don't get scenes like this very much. And, and I, I love that because it didn't matter the camera was on him or not. It didn't matter what anyone else got out of it or what anyone else thought he was getting out of it. It's that he loved this and he was getting it out of that. Look, prayer is not meant to be something that you just taste with other people and you think you're supposed to get something out of this or you want other people to think you're getting something out of this. It's the joy for you that the greatest cry of the universe is, are, are you loved? is truly met in the gospel so that the Father can tell you, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. There is nothing you need to know that's more urgent or important than that today. Look, one day it will be morning and prayer will turn into praise forever. And your needs will be met for eternity by the presence of the Father. But until then, it is still dark. And you need to go out and withdraw to places and beg the Lord to remind you how loved you are in the gospel. Until that moment, let that be the prayer of us. Let me pray. Father, what everyone needs, what I need more than anything else, is to know that you love us. And I'm tempted in every moment of my life to forget it. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you, would you remind us Would you wrap your arms around us? 
Would you give us wisdom to never forget how pressing this is on our life? For anybody, Lord, who has never known that whisper, that you look on them, no matter how broken of a story they bring into it, that you look on them and say, you, you can be my child with whom I'm well pleased. Lord, help them to take Jesus, to have that internal need met in Him. Help us, Lord, to make knowing You the most urgent and important thing in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.